Amen. Father, we, we glorify your name. We, we exalt you. Father God, I pray that you be lifted up, Father God. Be lifted up in our hearts. Be lifted up in our lives. Be lifted up in everything that we do, Father. I pray, Father God, that, that we see you, Father God. We be like those Gentiles that said to the disciples, we want to see Jesus. Father God, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that we see you, that you reveal yourself to us, oh Father God, that Lord God, our hearts, Father God, are open just to see you, not, not to hear a message, oh Father God, or, or just to, to experience, oh Father God, an event, oh Father God, but to experience the person of Christ, Jesus Christ. I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. For the past five weeks, we've been, um, we've been uh, looking at the gospel and I. The gospel and I. And um, the, uh, two, of those, um, two of those last five weeks, I started sharing on bearing fruit and increasing in the gospel. In Colossians, um, the letter that we've been looking at extensively as we have gone through the gospel, Jesus plus nothing, uh, I'll ask you to turn there and just put your finger there because we're going to be turning there very soon. Paul says to the church in Colossia, he says to the church in Colossia, since the time that you heard the gospel and received the gospel and understood the gospel. So he gives us a, a simple framework of, of uh, the gospel. Firstly, for you to live a life in the gospel, you have to hear the word. You have to hear the word. Then secondly, you need to receive the word. And thirdly, you need to understand the word. It is very important for us to understand that snapshot that uh, Paul gives us. But in, it, it, it just doesn't stop there. We need to grow in the word. We need to bear fruit and increase. And Paul does not uh, uh, just stop in, in just saying, hey, buddy, you should be bearing fruit, you should be increasing. But he goes on to explain where we should be bearing fruit and where we should be increasing. Where we should be bearing fruit and where we should be increasing. The, the Bible just doesn't leave us grabbing straws or trying to, to grab anything and everything to, to increase uh, and, and bear fruit. But Paul, the Holy Spirit, tells us exactly where we should be bearing fruit and increasing. In Colossians 1 verse 10, I, I call this pleasing fruit that increases. says the following. As you can see the, the letters in red, pleasing fruit that increases. The reason why I call it pleasing fruit that increases is because you can have pleasing fruit, but it's not increasing. There are moments when, uh, and I remember there are times when as a child, I would eat a good fruit and I would plant it, but it would not bear any fruit and it would not increase. It, 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 had, it had been pleasing fruit, but it never increased. Sometimes you can have fruit that increases, but is never pleasing. We used to have an, uh, a peach tree in, the, in our backyard, and it used to have lots of fruit, and it would always increase, but its fruit was rotten. And that's how most Christians' lives are. They are bearing fruit, increasing, but they're not pleasing. But sometimes also you can, have, you can be pleasing and increasing, but not bearing fruit. For example, the story in, uh, uh, the, uh, of, uh, of the fig tree. Jesus saw a fig tree that was pleasing. It had leaves. It was blooming. It was looking good. 
But guess what? It had no fruit. God wants us to have the proper combination of all three. He wants you and I to be pleasing, to bear fruit, and to increase. Colossians 1 verse 9 to 11. Colossians 1 verse 9 to 11. It says the following, And so from the day we heard, so Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and uh, a man called Epaphras had gone to, to Paul and told them that the, 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 the people in Colossae were received, had heard the word and had received the word and were understanding. So Paul goes on to pray this following prayer. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you. That word pray, cease to pray, is not, uh, uh, it does not define time, it defines an agenda. He's saying, I did not cease to pray for you in this manner, not every day and every second, every minute. He's not talking about that. He's talking about an agenda, a purpose that God wanted to accomplish. He says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding to the end, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And I'll stop there. So the, the, there's this uh, diagram that um, I've been using uh, um, for the past two weeks just to show exactly the, the influence that the gospel has on, on each and every individual. And I will not stop uh, reiterating and, and emphasizing that this individual has to be fully yielded to the gospel and has to be submissive to the gospel. The gospel cannot have a, 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 an increase and cannot bear any fruit in your life if you are not fully submissive and you are not yielded to the gospel. The gospel, this diagram, it came to me as I was in a place of worship, in a place in, the, in a place where we call the presence of, of the Lord, when I was worshiping, this thing came into my spirit. I literally saw all these words and everything put together, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, teach the church about this. But when you teach the church about this, you will not be able to finish what you're meant to teach on. You will only be able to touch on one point. And when you touch on one point, I'll give you some signs that you are supposed to teach on this. The first sign that he gave me, and I won't give you the other signs, is immediately after you finish teaching this, Vesi is going to come and say, you need to teach the other two points. That's what the Holy Spirit said to me. I have never stood for three weeks up here. I've never taught for three weeks. I've never taught for two weeks. But, I've, but it's the Holy Spirit wanting to say something this diagram lo really looks very simple. Second Cor uh, Corinthians 11 verse 3 says the following. It says the things of Jesus are simple. They are not complicated. Sometimes we complicate the gospel. We complicate the things of God. We complicate Christianity. They are very, very simple. God has taken the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. He takes the very simple things so that we can understand what exactly he is talking about. And I believe the reason why God wants, wants uh, to, to this to be taught is because he wants to narrow our focus so that we are focused on what he wants to do in, in this church and in our lives. 
You see, in this world, just like in the church in, Col- in Colossae, they had so many distractions. They, were, or they had distractions of Twitter. They had distractions of Facebook. They had distractions of, uh, of, Go- of Google and, and YouTube. They had so many pressures that were coming up to them to the point that they were seeking special knowledge, mysterious knowledge. And God wants you to be focused on just three areas in your, Christi- in your Christian walk. Just three areas and nothing more. His his agenda is so simple that he wants you just to focus on these three. I began to talk about walk two weeks ago. When I spoke about walk, I was talking about your your, your, your conduct, the way you walk, the manner of life that you you live, your lifestyle, the, 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 the person that you are. Before I go any further, it's important for you to understand this. If you're going to forget everything else that I've, I've spoken, I want you to remember this, that you are a spirit that lives in a body and has a soul. I'll repeat that. You are a spirit that lives in a body and has a soul. The Bible, the, 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 the soul, it, talk, it talks about your feelings, your mind, your thoughts, your intent, your intellect, your will, your personality, and your consciousness. It talks about your determiner, the person who decides where you are going. The soul decides your walk. It decides where exactly you're going to go. If you're, and, and, and it will go towards the stronger gravitational pull. If, you're, if you are caught up in the world, it will gravitate to the body. If you are caught up in the, in the thing, it will gravitate more to the, to the things of God. If you're constantly watching Facebook and, and YouTube and constantly not in the Word of God, guess what? When you meet a situation, you will look at that situation according to the world. And the soul will go towards the body. If you're always caught up in the Word of God, in prayer, in worship, in all these things, guess what? When you meet up a situation, you will be pulled more to the Spirit. If you are born again, your spirit is exactly like Jesus Christ. Blameless, holy, righteous. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that we are constantly be changed from glory to glory to the image of Christ. But the thing that's been changed is not your spirit. It is your soul. It says as we look at a mirror which is the gospel. When you look at the word of God, your soul is constantly being changed and renewed so that you can go more to where the spirit is. Are we together? Last week I I started talking about your walk. And your walk, every person who is born again has a a walk, sorry, your work is called by God. There is a calling that every person needs to fulfill. Every single person. You may not know exactly what the calling is, but every single person has a calling if you are born again. Ephesians 2 verse 11, uh, verse 10, it talks about that there are good works that God has laid beforehand for each and every person to walk in. And these good works, they bring a harvest to the kingdom. They bring souls to the kingdom. They, they, and the, the, the fruit that God is looking for is not just souls in the kingdom. He wants souls that are disciples in the kingdom, that are growing in the kingdom. That's what God wants. Your walk and your work 
a byproduct of worship. These two are from worship, which are an act of obedience in the, in the place of worship. Your walk and your work are byproducts of worship as an act of an obedience in the place of intimacy. When we talk about intimacy, we are not talking, I'm not talking about uh, just knowing somebody, having a, 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 a casual relationship with a, with a person or being a, an acquaintance with that person. It's, I'm talking about you knowing that person and they know you. People that you spend time with. An individual that you can set time, quality time with that person. I'm talking about spending time with God. And that's how you and I increase in the knowledge of God. Because the, t- the more time that you spend with an individual, the more time, the more that you know of that individual. You, right now you can say you really know Donald Trump. But the only thing that you know about Donald Trump is CNN, BBC, and Internet. You don't really know that man. It's spending time with that individual. And worship, ladies and gentlemen, is not a, God, is not a thing that God needs. God does not need worship. You need worship. Because everything in the world that was created has a need from its source. The body was formed, formulated, molded from the earth. And it needs sustenance from the earth. That's why you go and get fruit. That's why you get veggies. That's why you get water. That's why you get nyama. Because all these things are from the earth. The body needs everything that has come from the earth. Medicine is from the earth. It will heal your body. It is from its herbs that have come from the earth. Everything that the body needs is within the earth. Your soul, God took the, the, this molding called a man, the, called the body, and he breathed into that molding, and his spirit went into this, this, this mold, and this spirit became, uh, this uh, living thing became a living soul. The soul needs knowledge, understanding, and experiences. That's why when your, child is, is, uh, when your child is still small, they have this annoying question, why? Because they want to have fundamental principles uh, to, so that they, 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 they formulate their lives according to understanding, knowledge, and experiences. When God had made man, he brought animals before him to walk before Adam, and whatever, he, he looked at whatever, whatever Adam would call them, and he let them be. Because God was engaging Adam in the soul. He was engaging Adam's intellect. But the spirit came from God. The spirit came from God. And the spirit needs God. It needs intimacy with God. It needs to relate with God. That's why God would come in the cool of the day looking for Adam to talk to Adam and try and engage Adam in the spirit. If you really look at it, that's why the serpent tempted man or the woman in three areas. He tempted, the serpent tempted the woman in the body, what she saw. Tempted the woman in the soul, you shall know, you shall know good and evil. Tempted the woman in the spirit, you shall be like God.
you and I have a need to worship because our spirits need to be in relationship with God. We have a need to, to be in the presence of God and to interact with God. There is a need. That's why human beings will go through rigorous rituals, religious rituals, to try and encounter a God or a being that they don't understand. They will, they will put their bodies through severity and ascetism, and they will, they will force their bodies and souls to try and understand this being that they can't understand because you can only worship God in spirit. There is no other way you can worship God. That's why it is easy for even uh, uh, somebody who is not born again to praise God. Praise is very easy for any person to do. All you do is just mimic. If they jump, you jump. If they raise their hands, you raise your hands. If they have Christian slogans and, uh, uh, and verbiage, you say the same. Hallelujah. You do the same thing. Exactly what, the, what they're doing. But worship is on a different level. It is something so different because... It is from the Spirit. It is your spirit crying out to God to relate with God. That's what worship is. That's why your spirit cries out, Abba, Father. It's not crying out for a provider. It's not, though He is a provider. It's not crying out for a protector, although He is a protector. He's not crying out for a shoulder to lean on, though he, he is that and even more. It's crying to relate with this God. It's try, crying to, to be in relationship with this God. Matter of fact, let's just turn to, to John 4, verse 23, 24. John 4, verse 23 to 24. John 4, verse 23 to 24. Are you there? It says the following. But there is, there is an hour coming, and it's now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. There is no way you and I can worship God in any other way. In Philippians 3, verse 3, he says, We are of the uncircumcision, those who worship God in spirit, and we do not put our any, any confidence in the flesh. We do not put any confidence in the flesh because true worship comes from the spirit. It gets me thinking about all the names of God in the Old Testament. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rohi. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah uh, uh, Jireh, uh, El Shaddai, Adonai, um, uh, El Elyon, uh, Yahweh, all these names, most of these names are just the attributes of God. They don't define who God is. They don't tell us who God is. All these are just what God was able to do. When man had encountered a miracle, they called God according to what that miracle had uh, meant to them. When, God, when, when Moses had defeated the Amalekites, he made an altar and he said, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my banner. 
It just describes who God, what God can do and not who God is. But in a place of worship, we increase in the knowledge of God. God comes up to us and with a firm shoulder, he introduces himself looking into your eyes, into your spirit and says, this is who I am. It reminds me of a story in the Bible of an old man, 80 years old. He's heading sheep, he's leading the sheep. And he all of a sudden sees a burning bush. And the, the bush is, is, is um, the, the, the twigs are not burning. The leaves are not burning. It's not being consumed. If you're here and you feel burnt out, the gospel will never burn you out. The gospel will never burn you out. If you are feeling burnt out, burnt out in church, burnt out in ministry, burnt out in things, then we have to reevaluate your gospel because the gospel does not burn you out. Paul says the following in, in, in uh, Corinthians. He says, uh, it is the grace of God that I am what I am. I worked more than all the other apostles, though it was not me, but it was the grace of God. I did not burn out. If you're feeling burnt out, maybe the burnout is because you're holding, out, you're holding on to something. Jeremiah says in, in Jeremiah 20, he says, I said I would keep the word of God in me. I would not mention the name of Jesus or the, the, the name of God. But the word became a fire in my bones. I was wary of carrying it. Sometimes why we are burning out is because we are not releasing. We are just reservoirs, not re but we're never releasing. So this individual, Moses is his name, sees this burning bush and he turns. The gospel will make you turn. The gospel will change your walk. It will change your direction. And he goes close to this burning bush to see exactly what's happening in this burning bush. And the voice comes out from that burning bush and says, Moses, remove your sandals because the place that you are on is holy ground. It's a place of worship. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't worship God in places anymore. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. But God had to do something physical to get Moses' attention because Jesus had not yet died and Moses' spirit was not reborn again. If you're looking for dramatic encounters from God, you're literally saying to God, move out of my spirit and I will depend on the physical. God speaks in our spirit. He doesn't use the dramatic encounters. If he's using dramatic encounters in your life, it means that you're not listening. But he says the following to, to Moses. I have a commission for you. I have a calling. The gospel will give us a work. He says, I have a calling. Though you are 80 years, Moses, listen, you, you still have a calling. No matter how old you are, if you are in God, you still have a calling. You see, ladies and gentlemen, even if you have made a mistake in life, God still has a calling for you. The gifts of God and his callings are irrevocable. Romans 11 verse 26. They are irrevocable. God does not take away his calling and his giftings because you have messed up. He still calls you. You still have a work. And when he calls them, he says, Moses says to, to God, when I get to the, to the Israelites in Egypt, 
they will ask, who has sent me? This is, remember, this is a place of worship. And Moses, and, and God says to Moses, listen, tell them, I am who I am and what I am. I will be who I will be. Exodus 3, verse 14. God said, I am who I am. You see, this is very important, and I want you to remember this. This is before the law. When God is communing with Moses, it's before the law. He has not uh, presented himself as a God of, of the law. He's presenting himself as God, just who God is. And this, I am, would go through the generations until a man would walk as Emmanuel, God in us, would come on the scene and say, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection. I am the truth. I am the door. I am that gate. I am. When they came to the, to the garden of Gethsemane and they asked, who is this? Where is this Jesus? And Jesus came forward and said, I am. And when Jesus represented or showed himself as I am, guess what? They fell down because they had to worship. When you are in worship, you realize you come to a realization who God is. God has no beginning. This God that we are worshiping has no beginning, number one. He has no beginning. Friends, He just simply is. There is no way, there is no, no, no way you can take a pen and put a dot where He began. Even in eternity, you can't put a dot where he began. He just is. He ex just exists. It's, it, 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 when you are in place of worship, you realize, man, this is a being that just exists. I cannot, I, I might not be able to fathom that, but he just exists. In Revelations 1 verse 8, as he's to a man called John the Revelator. He, this John the Revelator is, the, is, is, is credited as the disciple who loved Jesus. So, I mean, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. When God, when Jesus reveals himself in Revelations uh, 1 verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Who is? Who is? Who was? And is to come. God simply is. He simply exists. Number two, he has no ending. When you are in place of worship, you realize, man, this person has no ending. Death tried to end him, but it could not hold him because he has no end. If he could, if he could come to being, he would stop being. He has no ending. You cannot stop this God. He just exists. Revelations 1 verse 17 says the following. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Sorry, uh, continue uh, to 18. I am the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and have the keys to death and hate. The next point, he's, he is absolute reality. There is no reality before him. There is no reality outside of him. All reality that exists is because of him. He is absolute reality. 
In Colossians 1, it talks about the supremacy of God, the preeminence of God. Everything exists. All realities exist because of this God. He is constant through time, constant through eternity. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, never changing. When we worship God, we come to that realization that this God is the reality. Even if I'm going through tough times, I come and God reveals himself as the ultimate and the absolute reality. I realize the things that I'm going through will change. He's utterly independent. He's utterly independent. It depends on nothing to bring him into being or support him or counsel him or make him what he is because he is. He just is. Paul says the following, Oh, that I may know him. Oh, that I may know him. He's crying out from the Spirit. Oh, that I may know him and his power, the power of his resurrection and share in his suffering. God wants you and I just to cry out and, and cry from our spirit and say, God, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to, to know your supremacy. I want to know your, your, the, your, your, your almightiness. I want to get to know you. If there is anything else, that I would want to do is just to know you. I want to lie at your lap and just know you. Sit at where you are and just know you. I would just want to know you. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if we do not cry just to know and worship God, these very rocks, these very walls will worship him. So wherever you are right now, before we take the communion, because the communion talks about, Jesus said, in taking this, remember me. Wherever you are right now, I want you just to be still. Whether you want to kneel down, kneel down. Whether you want to, to stand up and worship him, stand up and worship him. There will be a song that will play right now. And when the song has played for a couple of minutes, you can then go and get the emblems and, and take communion. But open up your hearts to worship God for who He is. And God, when we open up our hearts, God will step in and introduce Himself and reveal Himself. Amen.